Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhere and Apologetics. So glad you're joining us today. Today we're going to be starting a new series on panentheism. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this video is going to look at a brief history of panentheism. The next video will be on contemporary expressions, and we're just going to dive into what is panentheism. So first off, before we get into the history, I want to start with John Colpin, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and how he explains what panentheism is. A lot of this series and this video especially is based on that article, kind of expounding upon that and talking about what's going on here. So he says the panentheism considers God and the world to be interrelated with the world being in God and God being in the world. While pantheism emphasizes God's presence in the world, panentheism maintains the identity and significance of the non-divine. So we're going to look at some expressions of panentheism in history. The first is the pharaoh Inkaton. Um, he's an Egyptian pharaoh that some would say is the first monotheist. He has a poetic description of the sun god, and he's going to avoid separating God from the world. Then in Hindu thought, there's a bunch of different ideas with regarding panentheism and pantheism, which is different than panentheism, which we'll get into in future videos. And it's an idea among the Vedantic philosophy and the Upanishads. Um, and there's just something like the perfect includes and surpasses the imperfect things in the world in some Vedantic thought. The Upanishads say that God holds together the changing and the unchanging. And Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, apologize for the pronunciation, says, with a single fragment of myself, I pervade and support this entire universe. So one of the ideas in Hindu thought is that God kind of per pervades the universe. So inside of God is this universe, which God sustains and upholds. Um, Plato, you know, our guy from the cosmological argument says that the forms are unchanging and the world is changing in motion, um, at least according to Charles Hearthstone's take on Plato. Um, God is both mutable and immutable, which is interesting. Um, and then to me, Plato says that the world resembles more closely than anything else, that the living thing of which all other living things are parts. Um, Jay Cooper says that Plato saw a distinction between the good and other gods. Um, and Plotinus uh, in the third century AD is going to lay a further foundation for panentheism, building off of Plato and others. Um, so make what you want out of Plato. Because at least like when I go through this, I'm like, I really don't understand what he's saying. Um, and I don't know if anyone besides for Plato actually knew what Plato was saying. But, you know, we're going to look at uh, further into history now. We have Proculus and Pseudo-Dionysus. Um, we're going to draw on Plotinus and say that the world comes from God and returns to God. So an interesting idea here. Then in the Middle Ages, we're going to have people like Erugina, Eckhart, and Bohm, who are accused of being pantheists. But then they respond by saying that God was included in the world, but not the world. So here's a big distinction here is pantheists are going to say, in a sense, that God is the world, um, where panentheists are going to say, like, the world is in God, um, at least typically. You know, we can't label everyone under one giant stitch. Um, but John Scotus Eugena writes that when we are told that God is the maker of all things, we are simply to understand that God is in all things, that he is the substantial essence of all things. So at least in the Middle Ages, people like Eugena are saying, yeah, like, the universe is in a sense, like, within God. Like, I'm looking in front of me, and I see my high school diploma, and it's like, God is in that um in one way or another so it's a very interesting concept um in the early modern period they're going to be dealing a lot with like the dualism of classical theism where we have the mind the soul and then we also have like the physical world um like material things that aren't like mental and such um so they're facing this and they're going to emphasize the relationships between god and the world and distinctions become problematic so people like bruno and spinoza um it's gonna be a very big challenge because they say they keep eliminating these distinctions between God and the world. And it's almost like the world is God or God is the world. And this is going to be a tricky thing with panentheism 
where it's often hard to understand what it is. Um, but that's part of the series is trying to get a deeper understanding of what's going on with panentheism. Um, the later 17th and 18th centuries, you have the Cambridge Platonists, including Jonathan Edwards, the preacher. This is actually really surprising. I was doing my research. I'm like, yeah, the reformed pastor who was part of like the first great awakening in America. Like he was a panentheist and it's like, yeah, it seems like it at least. There's also a Frederick Schillomacher. Apologize to you, Frederick, for butchering your last name. Um, and they're going to see that the world is a development from God and humans have a responsive relationship to God. Um, human responsiveness provides a distinction between God and humans reacting to Spinoza's close relationship between God and the world. So you have Spinoza who almost wants to say there's no difference between God and the world. And these, um, the Cambridge Platonists and others are going to say, well, we are in a sense distinct from God, even though maybe we're like in the world, which is God in a sense. So it, it's a very interesting concept. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we have some later panentheists. So we have Frederick Wilhelm Joseph von Schilling. Um, he's going to say God is unchanging prior to creating. And then a personal God explains why the world is so diverse. Um, he can say free creatures are necessary for God's love and God is both necessary and developing. So as the world develops and changes, God develops and changes, at least according to panentheists like Schilling. Now, George Hegel um, he says that God is characterized by dialectical development. So he's going to reject pantheism. And it's just something like with regards to God, the infinite observes the finite. So all these finite things like you and me and pencils and coins and diplomas and Arsenal and Liverpool, um, they're all absorbed by God um, in a sense. Um, and the divine surpasses the parts of the universe, but then they're not separate from them. So hopefully that helps you understand Hegel a little bit. Um, and then we have post-Darwin. Darwin is, helps develop the theory of evolution. And people like Samuel Alexander, Henry Bergson, and C. Lloyd Morgan are going to talk about what's going on here in the development of panentheism. They're going to say that God and the world are growing in their relationship to one another. Very interesting idea. And then the final slide we have for you here is a little bit of where we're at with panentheism. And we're going to pick up after Hearthstone and Whitehead in a second, um, or not a second, in the next video. So Charles Hearthstone and Alfred Whitehead, um, they helped develop this thing called process philosophy. And they're going to say God is necessary for any actual world to exist. Without God, the world would just be this unchanging place. But an eternal God allows for there to be change in the world. But the world must be present to allow for the change in the world. So try to make as much sense of that as you want. Um, there's a distinction between God and the world still. God is eternal. The world is temporal. And then there's freedom in the events in the world. God presents possibilities, yet he doesn't determine the outcomes. Um, so very interesting ideas. And you can see why people get very confused with panentheism. So hopefully this series can help you or just make you more confused. I don't know yet. Um, process theism says that God is in some sense eternal, immutable, and impassable. Like he have like the classical theistic attributes. But then they're going to deny some of them by saying that he is mutable and passable in some respect. Um, so they might take some of what the classical theist offers, but they're not going to affirm all of it. And that's it. That's the first part of our series on a brief history of panentheism. The next time we're going to be looking at this topic will be on contemporary expressions of panentheism. If you're new to it here in apologetics, I always encourage you to subscribe on your way out. Appreciate everyone that makes this show possible. And if you enjoy us, you can go support us on patreon.com slash adhere apologetics for a little as a dollar a month. Your support means a lot. It really does keep the show going. And then you can get videos like this early access. Um, so yeah. And if you're a patron listening to this right now, thank you so much. You're the man or the woman. I'm so grateful for all of you who support the show and the channel. And if you're following along with this pantheism series, you might be able, the next video might be out and you can check out the playlist below. So have a good one guys. God bless.